the tax code isn't out to get me. The tax code is there to present opportunities for us to reduce our taxable income. And, you know, the wealthiest people that I've met have at least a portion of their portfolio in some of these larger apartment complexes and longer term, they pay less tax, keep more of their money and hence create wealth even faster. Welcome to the Free From Wall Street podcast, where we share how we have done over $200 million in real estate deals to create, preserve, and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. If you're ready to start investing with purpose, visit freefromwallstreet.com. But for now, let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Free From Wall Street podcast. My name is Stephen Libman. I'm the managing partner of Integrity Holdings Group. And with me today, I actually brought on our CPA, Jordan from SKR and Co. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So, you know, it's so funny because 10 years ago when I started my entrepreneurial journey in fix and flip, I used to think of like CPAs and accountants and the IRS and like just things I didn't really want to deal with from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Fast forward 10 years later, I'm like nerding out on tax law. Because I realize how detrimental it can be if you don't know how to utilize it and really how beneficial it can be if you do know how to utilize it. So absolutely. Yeah, we came to you guys uh, by a referral and it has been uh, it's been really eye opening what you guys have been able to teach us and show us and what the opportunities are through you know, commercial real estate investing and some of the tax benefits and things like that. I mean, I always tell people we shut down the residential fix and flip business to go full-time commercial because we get to keep a lot more of our money. So why don't you share with us a little bit of your background, kind of, you know, what it is that you focus on and, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm in Colorado Springs. I'm a tax partner at a, a CPA firm here of about 80 people. We're one of the old uh, Deloitte offices that closed down in Colorado Springs about 25 years ago. So our firm has been around for about 25 years. And uh, yeah, we our heaviest industry is probably real estate related activities, which, you know, spans everything from multifamily to land development. So have that covered and speak just kind of big picture to Stephen's question. You know, there's there's a big difference between I'll call it ordinary income and ordinary rates and capital gain rates. And then with real estate as well, depending on the situation, you often get like depreciation. So from a very, very high level, real estate investments can often cash flow, but have a negative tax, which is great from an investor standpoint. It means you're keeping more money in your pocket till the end. And then typically at the end of a real estate deal, you're paying capital gains tax. So much different than the tax you pay on your wages or anything else. So what is the difference between what they call a capital gain, whether it's short-term, long-term? Let's talk about the difference between short-term capital gain and long-term capital gain first. Yeah, so anything held over a year, a year and a day is long-term capital gain. Capital gain investments are kind of what you think. You invest in something on like a more investor passive style versus like your job or wage. So yeah, anything held over a year, including a limited partnership interest or S-corp interest or anything of that nature, is a capital asset. So generates capital gains to just have preferential rates. And obviously in 2018, you know, we had the tax reform. So those rates are closer, capital gains and ordinary, but typically, you know, there's a decent spread. And that, that's kind of what you're looking for for the long term is what's that capital gain rate I can pay. You know, one of our founding partners, his quote to everybody is, you'll never go broke paying capital gains tax. So people feel like they're going broke paying ordinary income tax often, but capital gains tax is a little bit better for sure. And 
<clears throat> so your ordinary income can be all the way, you know, I mean, I remember at one point in 2017, 18, we were paying almost 40% in our ordinary income tax. And now, you know, some of these capital gain rates are near zero. I mean, for a certain percentage of the income that's coming in, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know, pre-Reagan, I think those ordinary income rates in the 80s, 80%, you know, so like it's been, yeah, 40s, 50s, it can go anywhere. But yeah, currently it's about 37%. Um, unless you like own your own business, then maybe you can knock it down to about 30. But yeah, there's always a delta between capital gains at ordinary rates without a doubt. So something you want to plan for, strategize around. And obviously, the quicker you get there to capital gains rates, the better overall. I'll say it's kind of a process. A lot of these like uh, partnership investments and real estate investments, you kind of build them. And what's the nice part about that is investment one might be throwing off losses for a while, maybe you get into number two. And by the time number one sells, the gain from that, you might eat into the losses for number two. And so it actually isn't that big of a tax impact because you have these other losses coming along. So it's kind of like, I mean, the theory of like bond laddering kind of where you kind of have this rolling portfolio that works really well for people because they're kind of, you know, using these new losses to offset gains from an older investment. Yeah. And I've gotten this question a few times because, you know, we talk about the depreciation that investors get through cost segregation studies. And, you know, a question that always comes up is, well, is there a depreciation recapture when you sell the property? And, you know, we let people know, yes, there is. And we're hoping, just like what you said, that we continue to buy and bank other depreciation so that by the time we do sell that and have a recapture event, we might not have any taxable event at that point. Yeah. And I think one thing on the depreciation recapture, especially if you're... Um, in the top brackets, there's always a delta there as well. So remember depreciation, which is, you know, just real quick, we buy a building, we get to recapture some of that cost over time. And, you know, as Steven mentioned, cost segregation has been around forever, but really became more powerful with tax reform that they allowed us to take a hundred percent write off on these assets that they designate. And then you're looking at, you know, things that are less than a 20 year life, which is all tax geek stuff. So don't worry about it. But basically you, you get to accelerate a lot of depreciation off the bat, usually between 20 and, you know, 30%, depending on the property, the, what you're purchasing, but that that's an ordinary deduction. So even though there's recapture, that depreciation is ordinary. When you get recapture, it's at 25% or your max bracket. So top, top earners you still have that delta between 37% and 25. So even on recapture, kind of in that bond laddering, you're still winning on that 12%. So that's something, it's not a one for one on the recapture because that, that would minimize the benefit a bit, but there's a 12% difference even on recapture. Gotcha. So. That's a big point to understand, right? Because as you do this for 10, 15, 20 years, that 12% delta becomes significant over time and what you can compound and roll back into other investments. And yeah, 12% now. And to your point, you know, 40%, it was 15 just a little while ago. So it could be, you know, three or four years from now, if rates change, it could be even bigger delta. So. so we've covered a little bit about the depreciation expense. I mean, so what really blew me away was just the opportunity to get away with not paying taxes in general through these opportunities that we were presenting to folks. I mean, so let's talk about it from the limited partner, because I'm a real estate professional, right? And not all of our yeah. investors are real estate professionals. Can you break down the difference between those two real quick? Yeah, yeah. High level real estate professionals have to basically 
spend more than half their time in something real estate related. So the best example is you can't be a doctor and be working, you know, 13, 1400 hours, even if you're kind of part time and probably still qualify as a real estate professional, even if on the side you have, you know, 600 hours of you're managing properties and that's what you do as kind of a part-time gig. So really think about it is your full-time job. And then they have some specific requirements about the time you spend. You have to track some hours. And the big difference is real estate professionals can take the losses today. Passive investors, limited partners, they still get the losses. Just when can they take them? And so it's, it's just a difference in timing. The whole thing is timing. It's not really anything different to this. And this goes back to like 1986 because all these structures were set up for doctors and other people to get immediate losses. So that's why that bond laddering works is you kind of build up losses. And then when you have a gain event, when something sells, you use all those losses and then you build up losses again. So that's kind of a way where you get immediate benefits on those gains, but you can't often, if you're a limited partner to your question, offset your wages or things like that, you're not going to get a benefit today. So if you're a passive investor, Think about that cost seg as a bank. It is a bank to save against future taxes or against future projects. Um, what, if, what if I have other investments that are creating other passive income for me though? So I know I can't go against my ordinary wage, but what about maybe some of my other income that's coming in from other investments? Yeah, no. So they kind of group all things that are passive in a bucket. <laughs> so if you have any other passive income, these real estate losses, depreciation, go into that bucket and you get a loss. So you got a million dollars coming from somewhere else and you got a million dollars of depreciation, you don't pay tax because they offset to zero. So yeah, it all is grouped into one bucket. The only difference is, you know, and this comes up every once in a while is if you have nothing else in that bucket, let's just say losses and we close the property, then those losses do get freed up. So if we sell it, you don't have to just leave it there forever until you make income on something else, you know, deal four closes, you get deal fours losses historically do free up. And that, that's where you get that delta on that free up of losses comes in as an ordinary loss where the capital gain on property four is a capital gain. So you, you get that spread a bit. Yeah. And I mean, we keep talking about this spread and I think that's the biggest thing that it took me, the longest thing that it took me to understand was this kind of um, tax rate arbitrage, if you will. Right. It's like mm -hmm. if you're going to be putting that money to work in an active investment, then you're going to be paying active uh, income tax on it. But into a passive investment, then you get to create a little bit more of this delta. And like you said, over time, that delta continues to grow. Your bank depreciation continues to grow. And this is really how generational wealth is is created. Right. I mean, you get to keep more of the money that you're earning. And, you know, even in stock markets, I know guys that own mutual funds and they're paying short-term capital gains on some of these mutual funds because they're in and out of these plays in less than a year. And, you know, they're trying to understand why they would want to get free from Wall Street and put it into a real estate deal. And this is exactly why, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's in the news and like, you'll see a story about depreciation. And I think the thing to remember there is, I don't even know when depreciation was created. None of these things are new. They're not, this is not an aggressive new strategy. These things have been around for decades. It's just with tax reform, we've had bonus depreciation on previous administrations as well. 30%, 50%. Now it's at a hundred. And so that's why, you know, this, the cost tag becomes an even quicker tool, but even at 50%, it's not the end of the world. And you get it back over five, six years pretty quickly too. So even if they change that over time and, yeah, Wall Street, they're tightening down on those people as well, where 
now they have like a carried interest rule. So that short term to get to long term uh, for some of their projects is a three year hold. So it's, it's, you know, going back to the earlier conversation of those guys even have a harder road because it's now maybe they got to hold it four years to get long term capital gain treatment. So Interesting. So I guess let's touch on a couple of the benefits of the CARES Act right now. I mean, we had a conversation. We could talk about my personal situation for a minute. So we have a couple of projects coming online this year. We're looking at maybe a five, you know, eight figure depreciation loss over all of these different properties in total, right? Probably about 10 million bucks. So for me personally, my percentage of that will flow back to me as a K-1 loss from these different entities, which means, one, I shouldn't be paying any uh, tax this year. I mean, New Jersey I'll pay, right? But we're talking federal. Um, Maybe? Maybe. Depends on where we can source it. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, (laughs) good. That's good news. You're you're a resident, so anything we don't put somewhere else should go back to New Jersey. So, yeah. Right. So, you know, we're hoping to offset all of our taxable income for this year. But the CARES Act, and we just had a call about this uh, about a week ago now, is CARES Act has a couple of provisions in it because of coronavirus that is really going to help us get some more liquidity back from the government of stuff that I've already paid, right? So tell us a little bit about the net operating loss carry back and what that could mean for folks. Yeah. So I think big picture, all the COVID relief is really related to getting cash back to people. So the PPP program, all that, that's basically all I've done for three months. I feel like, um, you know, <laughs> all of that is, yeah. yeah. So it's like the 17th webinars on Tuesday, I think we've counted. So um, anyways, but yeah, they changed, they changed that last on the third, two days ago. So now, now people really should get forgiveness, but anyways, um, but the CARES Act, it kind of like, it's kind of buried. And I think it will come back up once we get a little bit over these PPP loans. There's multiple provisions in there to save cash for people. So as Stephen mentioned, in 2017, for the 2018 tax reform, the one we all think of, they, they really changed the NOL rules. And so it, prior to that, you could always carry back. And so what that means, if I have a loss in this year, I could carry money back and get money back from the government. I could take that loss back to positive taxable income years. They got rid of that with tax reform. And that's kind of how they paid for one part of tax reform. And so they made it mandatory that all those things go forward. So you could never get kind of cash back basically you could just offset future taxes. So um, with the CARES Act, uh, you know, in March, they basically reinstated a five-year carry back. So if Stephen's situation, like he said, 2020, we have a loss, we can carry back to positive years, whether we want to go back, you know, five years or and carry forward or whatever we want to do, we can also still carry forward. So you can strategize a bit about what your situation works out to be. But yeah, they've opened up that cash flow scenario for lots of people, lots of corporations trying to get money back quickly as possible um, into their pockets. So the the one issue we're probably having is mm, the IRS offices are a little bit shut down and I, you know, they're always behind and I can't believe, I can't imagine how much they're going to be behind, which I guess on some hand from a taxpayer, you know, we're, we're pro taxpayer probably means less audits, less things like that, which is always good. Although trying to solve some client issues is a little bit challenging, but yeah, Yeah, more cash. There's, I think the last count that I heard, it was that there's about 60 million pieces of unopened mail sitting at the IRS offices. <laughs> yes. But this net operating loss carryback, I think they're allowing you to fax in the request, right? And they're supposed to process it within like 30 days. Yeah, they Legend. created a new address, a new address <laughs> that, you know, we, we sent some a couple of weeks ago. So we'll see what goes on. So yeah, no, I mean, it's one of those things that 
it's not time sensitive, but it, it's something that like, once you have that loss, you can work on it for sure. And we've used this. And one of the examples I think I told Steven a while ago is we had a new client about two or three years ago, acquired, you know, multiple shopping centers across the U.S. in the 80s and never heard about cost segregation studies. And so we did one. And, and you, what the nice, and I think this is a good point to like hear people that already have existing properties. Cost segregations, you can actually, so this people had it in the 80s. We went back and did a cost segregation on the property today, but you apply it from the 80s. And so you get to kind of carry forward from the 80s to whatever that was, 2017 or 16. So, you know, it was, a, it was a giant number. And we took that as a loss carried back. Same concept on the NOL. And, you know, the IRS, they like to drag their feet. But within six months, you'll get a refund. And, you know, and so you call them and it works out. But, yeah, so it, it's a good way to generate cash if cash is king, without a doubt. So. so here's where this comes into play for us. So for the listeners out there, like, all right, so what's the tangible? What's it look like? So in 15, we, did, we weren't crushing it. 16, it was okay. But 17, 18, 19, we did really well in our wholesale and flip business. We had significant income, we paid significant taxes, and now we're gonna have significant losses this year. So when you get to carry that back, between Travis and I, we're gonna have multiple six figures coming back in a refund check to us once we put this stuff in front of the IRS. So almost all of the taxes that we paid in 16, 17, or 17, 18, 19 are gonna be refundable because of this net operating loss carry back. And then if we have anything left over, then it carries forward for us, right? As we continue to earn more income. So, man, I begrudgingly wrote those tax checks over the last couple of years. And uh, it, I mean, so when you talk about the opportunity that some of these things create, I mean, yeah. I know people have been really beating the drum of the PPP, but that's like, you know, what we got in a PPP loan was, I don't know, 20 grand or something. It wasn't a lot what we're going to get back yeah. from these net operating loss carrybacks is going to be really significant. So yeah, we're, we're excited about finding out about that and knowing that we can apply that and putting it to use. Yeah. And it applies well to real estate professionals because you can use it today. So that's like a key point is you can use it today. And, and what we're doing is we're taking back that ordinary loss against ordinary income. So if you had a big capital gain event in the past, we might not want to carry that back because then we would be going the opposite in the Delta. So you get the choice. But for you, yeah, it works out well. And we leave capital gain dollars for the future on those projects. So, Right. Cool. Anything else CARES Act wise that people should yeah, be aware they, of? You know, they came out two days ago that all employers and self-employed people, they have one of the provisions in there is you can defer your kind of payroll taxes for a while. And, it, you know, it's just not necessarily a, a great thing. But what they said is there was interactions with the PPP and they came out and said, if you get the PPP, you can do it anyway. So that kind of applies to everybody now. There was a lot of back and forth. This is a funny thing about this thing. It keeps changing every day. So you're never wrong because it will just change at some point, but um, <laughs> yeah. that's in there. There's a lot of, uh, the one thing I guess, if you're already a heavy real estate investor, one thing that can come into play for certain people was something they passed in the tax reform act and it's called the excess business losses. And this was a, a way where if you had a, a large wage or capital gains that were non-real estate related stock sales, there was a way where they limit your real estate losses from depreciation, what we're talking about. That came into play in 2018. So we had some clients that were impacted by that, mainly from a giant cost seg from a big project. And, you know, you could only offset so much. So it, it's like another type of NOL. It carries forward. You don't lose it, but they won't let you have, they won't let you go negative. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was kind of the big concept of tax reform is they just didn't want you to get to negative. Well, they, with CARES Act, they adjusted that as well. 
So if anybody was in that situation in 18, you, it looks like you have to amend um, and get take the full loss. So it's not limited in 18 anymore. If you had it in 19, I think you're supposed to do that as well. And I can't remember if it's 2020 or 2021, it comes back into play. But also, this is a good time now. If, if you have losses, it's, it's fully allowed. So that's a big change in the CARES Act as well. That is, is pretty small for the percentage of people it hits. But if it, it hit you, you would remember. So that was a big change there. There's a million provisions about employee credits and things in that nature. So you want to just kind of explore all those personally. But um, the big ones are probably NOLs. And, and I don't think we've seen the end either. I think there'll be more stimulus packages that... The big thing, too, is real estate really hasn't, I mean, I guess you could say through the PPP program that rent is allowed to be paid. Maybe they're getting a break, but they haven't addressed real estate well. So if you see if a lot of defaults or, or things of that issues, if we get into that, I think you'll see some real estate relief at some point. But Interesting. Cool. So, you know, I'm a new investor. I'm looking at my options. I'm riding the roller coaster. It's, uh, let's see, June 5th. The market's up 700 points. It's like 1030 in the morning. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's still 30 million people plus out of work, but market fundamentals have been all over the place. There's been up days, down days. So from a tax perspective, right? And I mean, not, not saying that you personally like one asset class versus another, but from a tax perspective, when I'm looking at these two different investment opportunities, right? Wall Street versus commercial real estate, even as a passive investor, I mean, why would I choose one or the over the other? Yeah. I mean, personally, my grandfather was, he was an orphan and he, he drove cattle from Oregon to Texas, but he got into real estate and it's kind of just in your blood, I guess, at some point, like where you just kind of, and I guess I'll define it, even though you say passive, you can call Steven, you can go walk the thing, you can trust the people. Right, um, of course. And I, and I feel like that's the big difference. And I think you've seen that since like 2008 with a lot of that. And maybe before it's just, I don't know, people seem, while they'll maybe have some stocks, I think they like to be part of the process. They'd like to, you know, quantify the risk on a, on a smaller scale. You know, you're investing in the market. It's everything's out of control. You know, you can't control coronavirus, can't control any of these things where obviously if we buy this building in Tallahassee, you know, we can understand what the market conditions are to the best of our knowledge. And not, not, every investment has its risk, but I think people, I think people like being involved. And I think, you know, all the benefits we talked about from investing this way also create, you know, an immense amount of uh, ownership and kind of, you just have a more active feel and touch and you can plan a little bit better. You know, I, with people that are in the market, they kind of just get their statement at the end of the year from their broker and, that, you know, that was what you pay tax on. And so that, that's a surprise. I think there's people take pride a little bit in ownership. And so you own a little bit more. And I think, I don't know, all those benefits together, the tax kind of just being more active in it. I think having a little bit more say, and I'll say from our client, you know, large client base, all wealthy people are diversified across all of it. So it's not, uh, we don't have a lot of people that are only in the market or something like that, or only in passive investments. So it's a little bit, you want to do a little bit of everything. And I'd like, you know, we always say this too on the show, like we're not here to beat up on Wall Street, right? I mean, the name of the show, I think gives us that tenor. And certainly we've seen some people take some baths in the market. Uh, we've also seen people win. But the reason that I like this asset class that we're in is clearly to be able to hedge some downside risk, give yourself some more tax benefits. So, you know, we think that it should be at least a portion of somebody's portfolio so that it gives them the opportunity to reap the benefits of you know, maybe more stability, consistency in one area, and then maybe have some upside potential in another. 
But yeah, it really was the tax benefits that, you know, we read Tom Wheelwright's Tax-Free Wealth. And once I read that book, it really made me understand that the tax code isn't out to get me. The tax code is there to present opportunities for us to reduce our taxable income. And, you know, the wealthiest people that I've met have at least a portion of their portfolio in some of these larger apartment complexes. And longer term, they pay less tax, keep more of their money and hence create wealth even faster. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you jumping on. If people are looking to, you know, have some conversations with you or your firm regarding, you know, maybe they're looking for a new CPA. And so personally, you guys, I want to, the reason that I'm getting so much back in 16, 17 and 18, by the way, is because before we were using Jordan and his team, my CPA did not classify me as a real estate professional. So some of the deductions that we were able to take we had to just pay those taxes. We didn't know any better. And then we just made the decision to not go back and refile everything. It wasn't that big of a, of a mess, but it was a mess. You want to make sure that if you're in the real estate game or you have some of these passive investments or even active investments, or you're looking to change from W2 to maybe being a real estate professional, or your wife isn't working and maybe she wants to get into real estate as well to kind of utilize that real estate professional tagline. Make sure your CPA is well-versed in real estate. I mean, it's such a big deal to make sure that you have the right people telling you the right information. So if people wanted to get a consultation with you, Jordan, or your firm, where would they go? How would they reach out? Yeah, the best thing is just go to www.skrco.com. And uh, yeah, we can, or reach out to me. I don't know if we can put the email out, which is fine. It's probably the quickest way. Email with me is probably the easiest and set up a call. And yeah, we always just talk through, make sure you're a good fit. We're a good fit. And I agree. The real estate professional is nuanced and complicated, but not that crazy. And everybody should be looking at it if you're in that kind of space, like you said, but there's cases like every week or every month from the IRS. So we have plenty of guidance on it. It's not like, you know, opportunity zones, which we, we still don't know how that will like fully flush out. You know what the IRS thinks about it. You know what to do. So it, it's kind of, you can meet the test if you meet them type of thing. And so, it, it, but it does help. So yeah, anytime. Yeah, feel free to email me. Mine is J-M-P-J-E-M-P-E-Y at S-K-R-C-O.com. But we can put it somewhere else and no problem. So Yeah, I'm going to put them in the show notes so you guys right, yeah. can reach out if anybody wants to get a consultation with these guys. You know, when it comes to professional services, I think everybody can look at it as two things. They can look at it as a cost or they can look at it as an investment. And, you know, there's, this is the best money we spend all year is to make sure that we're getting the right information and the right tax advice. It could literally cost you millions of dollars over a lifetime if you get the wrong advice. So make sure you're partnering with guys like Jordan. Jordan, thank you so much for jumping on the, on the show with us. And uh, we'll be in touch soon, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Stay safe out there in New Jersey. See you later, man. Will do. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Free From Wall Street podcast. If you have not done so already, go to freefromwallstreet.com and get the five things your financial advisor does not want you to know. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Free From Wall Street podcast. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think.